brokenness, holiness, faithfulness. These are themes that the Lord repeatedly emphasizes throughout the scriptures. And if we want the true brokenness, the true holiness, and the true faithfulness, then it's got to be more than just a song. It's got to be a burning passion that above everything in this life and this world, above wealth, above family, above pleasure, above even health, even physical health, there's a power in victory. When a person can talk to the God of heaven and say, Lord, you have found me truly broken and you're filling me to overflowing with your spirit and your presence. There's nothing I want beside that. Even when we lose everything else, to be able to say, Lord, I'm a holy child before you. It's priceless. That's exactly what it's going to take for us to ascend up to the hill of the Lord, to be with him. True fellowship requires genuine brokenness, true holiness, and faithfulness to consistently do what God is pleased with. Hallelujah. This is what Noah was known for. Job was known for. Daniel was known for. Samuel was known for. Even Moses, his whole life, aside from a a brief period where he was provoked by the people. But God said, he's a righteous man. And the righteousness of the righteous man will deliver him from calamity. They're all broken people. It was a brokenness that they embraced. Not simply because of circumstances. They actively sought to humble themselves. And they got up early, every one of them. Early to seek God. They valued the presence of God. And God called them. His servants. His very own. God heard their prayers. They ended well. These were men. Who truly sought after holiness. And women like Deborah also. And Elizabeth in the New Testament. Many people who work with the Apostle Paul, these men and women who followed the Lord Jesus, Mary Magdalene, they became genuine lovers of God whose singular passion was, I must please Jesus. Not by force, but by choice. Hallelujah. They were broken, they were holy, and they were faithful to the end. You must say, Lord, I don't want to have a high in my life, an experience, a mountaintop experience with you, and then lose it all. What good is all of that mountaintop experience if I lose it in the end? I must be focused to be steadfast. First Corinthians 16, 13 and 14, the Holy Spirit recorded this through the Apostle Paul. He said, I want you to watch 
That word watch in the Greek means not sleep, but be awake. God says to his people, you must be awake spiritually. He said, I want you to also stand firm in the faith. Not flexible with the faith, but stand firm in the faith. I will hold on to the Lord Jesus Christ and do His will. Then it says, be brave. We've heard recently from the Holy Spirit through the messages. Don't be a coward. We may be brave in many areas in life. But when it comes to things of God and standing up for the truth, we may be cowards. God said, don't be like that. Be brave. Stand up for the truth. Don't be weak. Be strong. We say, Lord, I'm weak, but you're strong. But then God says, be strong in my strength. We have a will that God has created. And though we sing, Lord, conform my will to your will. God still says, you have the ability to lay hold of it or to let go of it. God will do everything he has done for us. Continue. But if we don't say, Lord, this is my life. One way. It's God's way. And he says also, let everything you do be done in love. If we fail in these things, then we need to know it's not a light thing before God. We will be our own hindrance to the very thing we're praying for. We're praying, Lord, make me more like you. Make me courageous, Lord. Why do I feel lousy, Lord, when I have to seek your face and I have things coming and bombarding me? Lord, I'm lost. I feel like a lost child in this big world. But I hold on to Jesus to help me. But the Lord says, how are you holding on to me? Am I really your closest friend? Am I really your master? If I'm your Lord, then you will want to do what I say. Paul found that freedom. Moses found that freedom. Nothing Moses got in Egypt, though he was a tremendous orator, eloquent of speech, powerful, physically, personality-wise, in every way, wealth-wise, position-wise, he was at the top of his game. But you know what he did? He left all of that as trash. The money, the fame, the power. He said, this is fake. He said, I'd rather be with the people of God and suffer affliction for standing up for what's right. Because he knew the reproaches that will fall upon him were greater treasure than all of the pleasures in the world. And look what the Lord did with Moses. He took him, he fashioned him. Yes, it took 40 years more after Egypt. He was 80 years old. But the end result was so beautiful that the man kept at it, kept following God. Nothing could distract him. He was done with the world. If we want that same kind of life, we need to understand what the Lord says in these verses. He says, stand firm. In Ephesians 6, it says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Men, women, and children are called to think that God has called me to be strong. So if I feel weak, I need to come to this conclusion. Weakness does not come from God. It comes from Satan. It's up to me to own it 
or to disown it and reject it. When I am weak, then am I strong. There's a difference between physical weakness and spiritual weakness. Spiritual weakness is not from the Lord. And even physical weakness, God may allow it, but it doesn't touch the heart. Paul wrote to the Galatians, he was sick. Physically, he was under attack. He said, you know, even though I was sick, you didn't look down on me. You still knew I had the power of God in me. You know what they did? They benefited. Those who knew the apostle for the anointing of God, they revered the Lord. They were blessed by the anointing. They became strong. There were those in every place that Paul went. And among the children of Israel, under Joshua, even during Samuel's time, you had a whole nation, a whole group of people who said, Lord, we love you. But the Lord said, stop. You're giving me lip service. I hear your words coming out of your mouth, but it's not from your heart. He said, because you have detestable things in your heart and in your home and in your house of worship. That's what God said. He uses a word, abominable, abomination. You know what the word means? Something abominable means it is utterly disgusting to God and hateful. It's so offensive to God. And he's wondering, why would you do that? Well, those who didn't know God, they're in the mold of Satan. So everything that is evil looks good to them. That which is vomit looks sweet to them. Because they're completely messed up. That's how we were, the Bible says. We may not have done all the things that people who are vile do, but certainly in our hearts there was a pride. There's a self-sufficiency. There was a measure of hate. There's a suspicion. We were a mess. But then we came to the foot of the cross and the Lord showed us there's real life. You can enjoy freedom in Christ. You can be pure. And this is what God was wondering. If you claim to know me, why are you putting your hand in that which is abominable? You know why? They don't really know God. It's touch and go. Touch and go. God says, hold my hand. Hold my hand. I want to hold your hand firmly. But it's like this. Lord, when I need you, I'll touch you. But I want to embrace what I want, Lord. There are people who say, God, I want you to save me out of my mess. But I don't want you to be the Lord of my life. When we say, Lord, in what areas in my life have I not surrendered to you? It's so wonderful. When we really seek God, you may be fasting, you may be praying, you really seek God. You know what the Lord will do? He uncovers very, very deep layers. You may have glossed over a particular thing that God does not approve of for many years. And all of a sudden, because you are sincerely broken, sincerely seeking holiness, sincerely wanting to be faithful, there's a heart cry that God sees. He begins to move in and He begins to show. All of a sudden we understand this is not pleasing to God. I'm not talking about the overt things. The more subtle things, such as thoughts and imaginations. Oh, the Bible says, I'm, I'm smitten in my heart. My own heart smote me. In the old language, it's written like that. It means that 
My conscience is bothering me. And no one else knows about it. Maybe I'm in conversation with somebody and as I'm speaking, I'm thinking negative thoughts about them. Maybe anger is coming up. It's not manifest outside, but I can feel myself getting irritated. You know what we do most times? We don't even know that it's wrong. And so we go with the flow of self-justification and ignoring that. But God says, no, there's a root there. There's a root of bitterness. There's a root of anger. And it's going to grow. You have to recognize that. And we can be among the minority. Like Moses, Samuel, Job, Noah. Job, as I said, others. All the people, men and women, who were sincerely broken, sincerely humble, sincerely holy, faithful. God showed them way before the storm came. Oftentimes Christians wait for the storm to hit. They, they don't get it until there's a physical altercation. Or they're on the verge of that. And maybe for another Christian, it's not physical, but the profanity comes up and their conscience bothers them. Why did I do that? And yet for others, they're at another level. Before even the words come out, they feel the words in their heart and they feel so convicted. But you know what? There's a Christian who can recognize before the violence, way before the profanity, way before even words are exchanged that are not profane but still not kind, way before that, soon as that feeling rises, I don't like this person. And I think this person is trying to put me down. There's an irritability that comes up. They're able to recognize it right there and say, this is wrong. Nobody knows. They may be smiling and everybody thinks they're wonderful. But the Spirit of God has uncovered more layers. That's what is meant by true brokenness. When I know my heart before the Lord, the way He sees it is the way I see it. And the moment the Lord says it's the wrong direction, there's such a heavy conviction. Imagine a person who has killed somebody, literally taken someone's life, and they have a hard time continuing because it's haunting them. Of course. You say they can't sleep for nights, many days. You say, of course. And then imagine somebody who has physically hurt somebody, not killed them, but physically hurt them. Maybe out of revenge, maybe in self-defense, but it's bothering them and they can't sleep at night because they did something that they felt they shouldn't have done. Look at the different levels and layers. There's another one that because the person said something profane, they thought this is not becoming of a Christian, this is wrong. Father, forgive me and I can't sleep at night until I get this right. There's another layer. The person that doesn't do any murder, no violence, no profanity, but the words and the tone exude bitterness and they get convicted and say, this is wrong. There's another layer deeper. Look at that fallow ground. Fallow ground is ground that cannot be tilled. It's useless basically. It's so hard that you cannot really plant anything. The Lord says, break up the fallow ground. And when I say, Lord, break up the fallow ground, He goes layer by layer. God will take you as far as you want to go. 
If I say, Lord, I want to go to the depths of who I really am, of what I'm really about. I want to know whether I truly love you or not, Lord. I can't even see clearly. Will you show me? And God will show layer by layer. Very lovingly. Because he means to heal us. God is the one who says, now this is how you really are if you want to know. And this is what I can do for you. Because I love you. I don't want to leave you that way. So there's another layer now. And that person just feels a feeling of anger, bitterness. Nothing's manifest. You can't see it in the face. Have you been there before? Very controlled outside. And maybe because it's the wrong thing to do, especially if you're known as a Christian. I know I can't do it. But you know what? It's like a bottle under pressure. It's like the, the liquid in that bottle that's been shaken. And the, the cork is what's holding it. People in the world say that. Well, if you hold it in and hold it in, you're going to get sick. You got to let it out. That's the world. God says there's something better. It doesn't even have to be there in the first place. It doesn't even have to be there in the first place. There's nothing to let out when you don't have anything there. That's the power of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's up to me and you to say, Lord, at what level do I want to operate? Do I want to go all the way with the Lord? You know what God will do? He will uproot that bitterness. Provided, on my part, I'm truly broken and sorry for it. If I say, Lord, I know I'm sorry and it's wrong and it messed up my day and it hurt their feelings and look at the mess I've gotten. I could have had a wonderful time with the family or the friends or the Christian brothers and sisters and now I said something I shouldn't have. I gave a look and it's convicting. But where's the motivation? The motivation is in the result of me not having a good time. Rather than, even if everybody thinks I'm good and I had a good time, there's a disturbance within. That's the true person. That's the person of integrity. That says, Lord, if you see something wrong, I got to get this right. You know what? The more often we do that, and as I said, the Holy Spirit will just shine the spotlight all of a sudden. And things that you thought doesn't even matter. It could be a conversation. Nobody sees anything, but you feel the irritability, the resentment. This feeling comes over, I don't like you. Right there, God will say, you're not walking right. How can you love your enemies? If you get angry at people who are not even your enemies because they're not agreeing with you or they're saying something to help you but you don't like the way it's coming to you. You see, pride can be so strongly rooted in our lives that unless we go through these things and have the Holy Spirit uncover it, we will be just drifting and any moment the devil will set up a situation to knock us down, then we'll wonder, God, why? What happened? Because I wasn't tending to my garden regularly. But if I attend to the garden of my heart, say, Lord, you said to uproot the bitterness. You said to uproot the resentment. Oh, these words. What does it mean to resent somebody? It's not to, it's to not like them what they say, what they do, and hold a grudge. All of these words are enumerated in the Bible. But how often Christians say, well, I'm under the blood. I can't be bothered with that because if I do, I'm going to go crazy. And I can't sit by myself quietly. I have to do something. But then we've missed Christianity. Because Christianity is going to the Lord, kneeling before Him and saying, Lord, I want not just cleaning up up to here, but I want the whole thing to be cleaned.
Lord, fill me. And then what God will do is, once all of that stuff is uprooted, He will pour in His anointing. People are desperate for the anointing of God. I hope you are. We want more of God's anointing. Amen? We need the power of God. We want anointing not just to go and heal people and uh, help them physically. We want the kind of anointing that will convict people. Because you know what? You can heal somebody, even of a deadly disease, they'll still go to hell, right? But if the anointing is operating the way it should, and you want the fruit and then the gift, then when you do heal, when you do speak, there will be an element of conviction, not from you, from the Holy Spirit working through you. And that person will know, you know what? I've been touched and delivered. It's wrong for me to just to walk away and not do anything. Maybe I'll go to church. Maybe I'll speak to somebody to tell me more about Jesus. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll, I'll look to the Bible. This is the working of the Holy Spirit. And then God will help. God will help a person. God will help people to really say, Lord, I need to get right with you. And then everything in life, everything that we need will fall into place. And God will look to us as that golden cup. Notice, when we pray for the anointing, when we pray to be used by God, when we pray and say, Lord, I want a mighty move of the Holy Spirit in my life. How can we ever get there if we leave the fundamental things? But if we're thorough in this, God will be quick to pour in. And this is why the scriptures repeatedly talk about examining the heart. So as we prepare for the main message today, let's say, Lord, I want to be real before you. I want you to close your eyes, if you would, please. And what the Lord has spoken to you now, those layers, this is exactly where it begins. If you want genuine renewal and revival, and you want everything God has, you have to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me, Lord. Lord, I failed in different areas, Lord. I wasn't watching I thought I was standing firm in the faith, but it was something intellectual. I wasn't obedient, Lord. Forgive me. Lord, I wasn't brave enough to confess my sins and faults. I was hiding it. Lord, I wasn't strong, Lord. But I made excuses for my temper. This is the way I always did it, Lord. If somebody doesn't treat me right, Lord, I get upset. and I don't think much has changed since I came to know you. Forgive me, Lord. It's a contradiction and hypocrisy. It's not your fault, it's my fault. Forgive me, Lord. Oh, Jesus, help me to have real love flowing out in everything I do. Just like you said in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14. Lord, I want to be known as a Christian. I want to be known by heaven first as a genuine Christian full of love. Lord, I know you love me. And I want you to work in me, Lord. Let that love melt away every prejudice and every resentment, every bitterness, every rudeness, every... Everything, Lord, that is hidden deep underneath the surface that you know about. I know about. I want to be like the psalmist. In Psalm 18 who said, Lord, my hands are clean. Is it possible? Is it possible to have my hands clean? Can anyone say such a thing before God? 
my hands are clean, my heart is pure? Is that the height of pride and presumption? Can anyone dare say, Lord, my hands are clean, my heart is pure? David said that. Paul the Apostle said that. Many people in the Bible said that. And they're humans, mortals like us. That's because they were holding firmly to the word of truth. And it ruled their lives. Lord, I want to be one of those. I want to be a person who can say to the Lord, of the truth, Lord, since I became so broken, since I longed for holiness desperately, Lord, and Lord, I wanted to be faithful and I'm continuing in that path. Oh, Jesus, you know my heart and hands are clean. My heart is pure. You have cleansed me, Lord, and I have done my part too. Thank you, Jesus. How the Lord speaks the same way He did in the Old Testament, He does in the New Testament. James chapter 4, verse 7, it says this Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, God's way. Resist the devil, and he will run away from you, flee from you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Hallelujah. What a promise. We never have to feel like we're alone or far away. God says, come near me, I'll come near you. But then it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. If I've done something wrong with my hands, I've cheated somebody, or I've not been truthful, or I've uh, partaken in something that is not clean. God says, cleanse yourself. Cleanse yourself, stop it. Then it says, purify your heart, you double-minded. That means a person who's not sure whether to stay with God here or go over there or make that choice about money there and this one. And they're very independent. God says, stop being double-minded. I want you to purify yourselves. God says, I have to do it. Then it says, be afflicted. What does that mean? In the New Testament, the Spirit of God says, be afflicted. What does it mean to be afflicted? It means, know your own wretchedness, your misery. Know that you're wrong before God when you do the wrong thing. And it's not a light thing. And then it says, mourn over it, grieve over it. First, you got to feel the misery that I've, I've done wrong before God. I don't care if a million people think the world of me. Before God, I'm wrong. And He's the one that matters. It says, mourn over that. But then it says, weep. I've got to come to a point, and you know what? Some of us may need to pray, Lord, I don't know how to weep. I don't know how to cry loudly to you. But you see, it's built upon two other things. Be afflicted, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of God and He will lift you up. God gives the exact prescription for spiritual health, spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. First, I have to thoroughly take away everything that God says is abominable to Him. But would I take that action? Imagine in your house, if you had a garbage bag in your kitchen, very lightly used, you just put a brand new bag there. There's no odor, nothing, and it, hardly anything in there. Would you be inclined to take it out? Of course not. On the one hand, you say, well, it's usefulness. 
is not really taken advantage of because it has capacity for more. But you know what? Imagine if the one thing in that garbage bag, hardly used, but the one thing is so foul in its odor. You would say, I don't care about the price of the bag. That odor and the germs that can come from that is not worth keeping the bag. I'm going to throw it out. My health, my well-being depends upon me getting it out. But if you have another person that says, well, because they're not thinking right. I'm going to keep on seeing how long I can put up with the odor. And I'm going to keep on letting this thing rot until the maggots form and the worst situation comes up. How do I get that sensitivity? From the Word of God convicting my heart. From the Spirit of God convicting me that this is not good. It's abominable. It's disgusting, utterly hateful. When people don't have that sense, they will sin like anything. It's only when we have the sense of the stench of sin before Holy God that we begin to take action. And God here says what actions to take. God is so good. I was reading Ezekiel and Jeremiah together. It is so heart-wrenching to see how much pain God went through with people. He said, I don't have any pleasure of anyone that dies. I don't have pleasure in those who die, the wicked even. He said, I want you to live. He said, but why do you keep going to the vile thing? In today's world, you see the Jews had ritual purity and they had spiritual purity linked together. So if a person touches a dead body, you can't just go to the temple of worship. You're contaminated, not just medically, you're contaminated ritually. There's a link to the spiritual side of a human being. If you eat a food that God says is prohibited, because God himself said, this is clean, this is unclean. For a season, he used the Jewish people to show the world that he's setting apart a people that is holy. And so he said, certain creatures you don't eat at that time. And so if somebody ate something that they should not eat, they were ritually impure. They cannot continue until it's taken care of. That's the same way we need to see anything we're doing that's out of bounds before God. When God says, do not cross over this line, if we do, we have put up a barrier between us and God. We won't hear God. We can go through the motions, but we'll be six virtually. But if I recognize, Lord, you told me something I should not do. You told me don't hold the grudge. And I keep holding a grudge. And I, maybe I've held a grudge for all my Christian life. God says, I'm waiting for you. Let it go. The only way to let go of sin is to knock out pride from which all the sin comes. Because when I say, Lord, you know and I don't, and I want to do it your way, I'll say, Lord, show me what to do. You said, you said be afflicted. I'm going to find out what it means, Lord. In the Old Testament, it was fasting, burlap, sackcloth, ashes on the head. You see somebody sitting with ashes on the head? With burlap, 
sackcloth and the morning, you knew that person is probably getting right with God. That's how it was at the outset in the Old Testament. It came to a point where God says, stop with the sackcloth and ashes because your heart is not connecting with what you're doing on the outside. A person can come to the altar and kneel in a moment of emotion and say, Lord, I'm tired. I don't know why I do the things I do, Lord. And I don't, I'm not able to do what you want me to do, Lord, fully. I'm frustrated. God, just take all of me and surrender. Many, many houses of worship use words like surrender, weep before the Lord, come to the altar, but they never ever show how the heart has to weep first before the tears come from the outside. That's what God is looking for. That's why he said, don't rend your garments only. Another sign when they used to tear part of their robe is to show, Lord, I've missed the mark so badly, Lord. I'm sorry. Just rip that. Everybody knows that person is repenting or acts like he's repenting. Came to a point where God said, stop doing that. Rather, rip your heart. Rend your heart. Why? Because when a person is torn up, they can't easily go and make fun of things, take things lightly. When they're in the state of that renewal, they begin to actually weep before the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to do a complete, total overhaul in my life. Things are just not right. You know, I seem to be cruising, but there are pockets of disobedience, like I said, grudges, bitterness, maybe flirting with the world, maybe the allurement, and this can happen to Christians on and off. It's a push and pull from Satan. One point you say, Lord, I know living for money is not the right thing to do. And you feel like you're free. All of a sudden that spirit comes around. You see, there's a spirit, evil spirit. You come around and he'll start dangling the stuff in front of you. And if I'm not thoroughly abandoned to that lie, you know what? I'll fall for it again. And then I'll go to this, maybe I need more money, maybe I need this and that. And we just get totally driven away from the right path. So it's a constant falling, recovery, falling. It can be anything. But if I say, with a passion, Lord, I never, ever want to be covetous in my life again. I don't need anything, Lord, except what comes from your hand. I'm willing to wait. My joy doesn't come in what I own physically. We need to be willing to say, Lord, my joy is not even in my health. It's in you, Lord. I'm satisfied with you. And I want you to keep uncovering layers. This is the secret for true spiritual growth. Anyone that says, well, just talk about love, joy, and peace, and faithfulness, and, you know, make a song out of it, and, and just, you know, memorize it, and, and do a word study on it. We can do all of that. But if we're not brutally honest and say, Lord, do I really have love? How do you define love? The Lord Jesus says this. You heard it was said by them all time, Matthew chapter 5. Love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Sounds very, very appropriate. Politically correct. Jesus said, but I'm telling you. Love your enemy. I know you can love your neighbor. Those who love you and greet you. Do good for you, but can you love the one who hates your guts? 
Can you love the one who's looking to harm you? How do you love such a person? Certainly you don't help them to hurt you. But you don't have resentment. Oh, that's another level. That's the level of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where he says, if you're my child, my spirit comes into you. I'm changing you continually. But my point this afternoon is, with all that God wants to do, with all that He expects us to do, are we serious about doing our part? Because if we're not, our spiritual growth will be delayed and our maturity may never come. Look in the Bible of people who are privileged, millions of people. They got the same manna from heaven. Not just the physical manna, but the spiritual bread. But multitudes never made it. Why? They never took it seriously. But if I say, Lord, the Apostle Paul says, the one thing I do. He kept saying, the one thing, the one thing, the one thing, the one thing. We have to become people of the one thing. What is that? To please God, live or die. Amen? That's my life. Because if I don't come to that conclusion, I will always be baited by the Satan, either through money, through evil lusts, through comfort, through fame, popularity, and what the world thinks about me, my intellect, my appearance, and all those things that God says, the person who lives in that world will never see heaven. Because that's not from the Father, it's from the world. Who's going to break this down for us? God does. Who cares to listen? Not many people today. Especially in these last days. But if I say, Lord, what if my job is taken away? What if my source of income is gone? What if suddenly war comes? Everything changes and all of a sudden they're putting guns in civilians' hands and saying, go, defend your country. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine this played in my mind the other day? You have a homemaker, a woman, a very uh, calm, nice mother, wife. All of a sudden there's a total turn of events. Turn the news on, we have the enemy on our turf. What? The next thing, they're giving up guns everywhere and rifles and machine guns. She calls her girlfriend, she calls her relative. What on earth is this? Hoax? They say, no, it's real. Here's yours and here's your. What do I do with it? I don't even. You know what? There has somebody just like that woman who's a homemaker and wife and comes and says, Don't worry, honey, I was just like you. Look at me. And this is how you hold the thing. And this is what we do to the bad guys. Come on, I'll show you how to do it. And she begins to quickly get trained. The point is how easily the gravity of the situation hits home when we're pulled into it. But we need to know in this life, Satan is not going to make it easy for us. The way he keeps us away from the gravity, from recognizing that, is to give all kinds of distractions. Not just pleasure and money and fame, but also pride and comfort and convenience. Sleep. So many things. He doesn't care what works. He'll keep trying. But you know, with certain Christians, he knows it's very easy. Because they fall for it every single time. 
and anything he introduces, they fall immediately. But there are others who are just like it says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14. They're watching. They're watching. Okay, so I have an enemy. The way he's come to me before in my life, maybe somebody can say it's through money. The allurement of a bonus and a profit, it just draws me. And all of a sudden I say, Lord, I'm going to take vacation from you for a day, maybe a week. I'll come back, Lord. And I go for that joy ride to gain something in this world, thinking that it's going to give me some kind of satisfaction. And then I get let down and I come back to square one. But if I recognize, you know, he comes to me that way. I'm not letting him do it anymore. Lord, and I pray to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm done with this. And I'm going to be watching which instrument the devil's going to use to bring me to that allurement of wealth and worldly advantage. I'm not falling for it anymore. I don't care who it comes through. No. Same thing with immorality. In whatever form. It may be blatant and overt. Or it may be subtle. Something that talks about romance and you know the future and a good home and a family and all the good things there. The devil paint those things to get you to get the bait. Take the bait. Our one concern should be, is this God's will? If not, I don't want to hear it. Is it God's time? I don't want to hear it otherwise. Is it even in God's will? Christians are very weak and cowardly. When they don't read the word of God and they don't say, Lord, every word I hear, when I read the book, I must read it in the fear of God, personally. If I don't read the Bible in the fear of God, things will just go past my head. It'll never land to make a difference. But if I reveal it, I say, Lord, you're speaking to me. Yeah, I'm reading Ezekiel and Jeremiah. It's talking about Israel and Judah. But God, you're talking to me. An example would be Ezekiel 3 and 18. The Lord says this. He says, when the wicked person continues to do the wrong thing, and I tell you, Ezekiel, as a watchman, to warn him, or he's going to die, you don't warn him, his blood will be on your hands. But if you warn him, and he still doesn't listen, and he dies, his blood is on his head. You're free. You know what's very interesting? Many people are familiar with that. What's very interesting is this. God actually says, in Ezekiel 3, when you warn a blank type of man. Anyone fill in the blank? You just heard wicked, right? You know what the next part of it says? Righteous man. What? Why, why do you need to warn a righteous man? He's doing well. Why? People say, why are you preaching from the Old Testament? It's scary and spooky and it doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm covered by the blood. Why are you going after Paul uh, chastising the Corinthians and the Galatians? Why? Because God is doing that. God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, when you speak to my people, they will not listen to you. You know what he said after that? Because they do not listen to me. Wow. So God is actually saying, if people don't listen to the servant of God, they're not listening to God. Look at the parallel and the connection. God himself said that. The reason they won't listen to you is because they do not listen to me. If they would listen to me, they listen to you because you're talking for me. Exactly what I told you. But that part in Ezekiel 3 is, 
Want, when you want the righteous man, the man that's doing the right thing, and you tell him, watch out, don't begin to trust in your righteousness. Oh, I had a great day, great week, you know, I wasn't immoral. I was, some people talk like that. I didn't let money get to me, you know, I watched my mouth and everything. And they think, you know, I don't want to hear about, I want to hear something about how I can prosper. They will fall. Because God says, when you don't want a righteous person, a person who's walking with God, and he begins to trust in his own righteousness. In other words, I'm doing good. I'm serious. I'm doing good. I didn't do the things I used to do. I feel so great. Don't bog me down with this stuff about warnings because maybe that's... I needed that last week, but not this week. Because I'm, I'm doing good. It's a great week. Tell me something to empower me, you know. Make me feel great. Because that'll just give me this superficial high, like a sugar rush, and then I'll go right out and fall. God does not warn the righteous man too. Warn the wicked man, but also warn the righteous man and woman. Why? Because there's a tendency of the human heart to begin to trust in the good deeds we do and good behavior and begin to think we're more than what we should be should think we are. Take heed, that means take warning, lest any man think he's standing, lest he fall. So the same thing in the Old Testament is there in the New Testament. We need warnings every day. We need promises every day. Does the soldier who's out there, who just won that battle of that particular hill, never need to be warned about the mines ahead? They made it through a tremendous minefield. Nobody got killed or injured. They went very carefully and they feel that, man, we got through this terrible setup from the enemy. No one lost their limbs, nothing happened. Wow. And they get zealous and they become full of themselves and they plant that flag on top of the hill and we're going to take the next hill. And the, the captain or whoever comes and says, you have some more minds that, I don't want to hear that. I want you to tell me that I did really good and nothing's going to touch me because we have the best technology, the finest weaponry, and the finest soldiers. No, the wise general, the wise captain, whoever it is, is going to say exactly, you know what? We made it through that minefield. More deadly things up ahead. Be careful still. This Christian life is just like that. But there's an excitement. There's a joy because every victory that we have received through careful walk with God will cause us to become stronger. And the more we overcome, the more the anointing of God will come upon us. The more we'll be able to set people free. So it's a wonderful connection. Jeremiah, the same thing. It's just, it just tears your heart when you read it in the fear of God. If you read it like a novel, if you read the Bible like a story, or even as a historical thing, you know, this is Judah, that's Babylon, and this is what Jeremiah, uh, 52 years or whatever, and all of these facts, peripheral things, won't do a thing for me. I can become a Bible scholar and go to hell. There are people like that. They can tell you everything in the book. They can even tell you the maxims and the principles and say, this is why God did that, and, and the people didn't listen, but what about you? What about the person who's speaking? That's where it must begin. Lord, am I a loving person? The way you want. Do I love my enemies, Lord? Lord, do I hold a grudge 
against anyone. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Do I, do I let things go that used to be the hook from Satan before? Some, they're Christians, you know, when they're born again, they have a dilemma, you know, music. How much of the worldly entertainment can I enjoy? And as I mentioned in the beginning, there are layers. You will never know the critical nature of it until somebody falls hard. It may be as simple as watching a football game. There's no impure motive. It's just to watch a game that a person loves and they're with people who love the game and they're all believers. But you know what? There are uncrucified areas so that when the commercial comes at halftime and there's something that is sensual one way or another, it's able to land in some of the men gathered there. Nobody knows. Nobody even cares. They're just rooting for the home team and they're enjoying the game play by play. But there's something landed there. And that is the tiny hook that's enough to build upon which Satan has already set up with another thought or maybe a dream, maybe another conversation, maybe a, a, a conversation with a female. It just adds another layer. Before you know it, they're completely out of their control. There's a fall. And people wonder, what happened? Point is, the things that seem to be negligible, because nobody seems to be hurt right now. Nobody's even talking about it. But if we don't deal with that root, it will definitely bear fruit and it won't be good. Same thing with the love for popularity. There's a, there's a drawing. Satan knows who he can actually draw. Certain people he knows. If I just, I can't get them with money. I can't get them with immorality. But I can get them with popularity. So he, he brings something. You know what? If you do this, you'll be popular. Many actors and actresses who have started out simply because they wanted to be in drama, they get under that gun. You know what it is? I need to get a role. I need to survive. People have to like me. That's the name of the game. Same thing in business. And so they get sucked into this because they never crucify that area and say, I'm not going to be sold. I'm sold out to Jesus Christ. I'm not doing anything that is contrary to the principles that Jesus has given me. I trust him to give me everything I need. I don't need this world's popularity. I don't need this world's wealth, the world's way. I'm going to do it God's way. So standing firm in the faith means to know who we really are. And the only way we'll know who we are is if we let God show us through His Word and the anointing of the Holy Spirit will uncover layers. As I mentioned, murder, physical violence, profanity or verbal Conflict, internal resentment and profanity inside but not coming outside, feeling of dislike, bitterness. So many layers. But most people who claim to be Christians, they're very content with the top layer. You know, I didn't kill anybody. 
I didn't get to a physical altercation. God is saying, recognize that the root has to be taken out. Praise God. Whatever area it is, just like that general would radio the message to all of those commanders on the field, make sure you tell our men there are minds, we have intelligence, we have just uncovered tremendous traps out there, snares. Relay the message to them. That's what God does in His Word. He shows a lot of stuff, but if we say, I don't want to hear that. I want to hear about stuff that makes me feel good. Then we'll become casualties. But the Spirit of God convicts and He helps us to understand. Lord, I want to be clear before you. May I become like a Moses. I want to be like a Noah. Like a Daniel. I want to be like a Samuel, Lord. I want to be like these men. Like a Deborah. Like Elizabeth. What role models we have? The world has its models, quote unquote. Whether it's business or fashion or whatever, sports. But they're all serving the devil. Unless they are using that as a platform to truly show the living Christ. And as we sang in the beginning, brokenness, holiness, faithfulness. But to say, Lord, help me to understand what true brokenness is. What is true holiness, Lord? And true faithfulness. This is what I'm living for. Paul the Apostle didn't miss anything. He traded the world for Jesus. And he was a man on fire. He was full of life. You couldn't stop him. And he was caught up to the third heaven. He had revelation and visions that nobody had. He only lived about 60 something. He was beheaded. Think, it's not nice. A lot of Christians, because they're not really in fellowship with Jesus, they have a hard time when they hear about people giving their lives for the Lord. I used to be one of those people growing up. I hated to hear about tragic stuff. And even a Christian uh, being killed, I think, man, is there some way to escape that? But we need to understand something. He that seeks to gain his life, Jesus said, will lose it in the end. He'll lose eternal life. But the one who gives his physical life now, meaning not just dying, but daily, giving up things that God wants to give up, will gain everlasting life. So even though Paul was beheaded, Peter was crucified, they say upside down. Thomas was martyred in India. I mean, these disciples, they just... You know how many Christians say, wow, what a pity. Parents say, what a pity. You have so much to live for. Lord, I don't understand why. And they strike a compromise with God saying, Lord, I feel really bad, but I guess you know better. And they don't understand it. Paul said way before he died, before he went to Jerusalem, years before he said, I'm ready not only to be put in prison, I'm ready to die for Jesus right now. What happened to him? He was a radical Pharisee who hated Jesus. What happened was he had a genuine encounter with the Lord and he never let go of the Lord. So the Lord appeared to him over and over again. Can you imagine God appearing to you? I mean, he's right there and you know you're one step away from living with him forever. You have actually seen him. You have heard his voice. 
is there anything better? It's when we're distant from the Lord that we begin to fear and say, not now Lord, it's not comfortable, I'm not, it's not convenient, I don't understand it. But the more we know the Lord, we'll say, Lord, whatever you say, oh my Jesus, like Paul will be able to say, for me, to depart from this life and be with God, is far better. But for the sake of the gospel, the work that he wants me to do, I'm going to stay. When he finished his work, he was ready. That man had no fear. He had zero fear. He wasn't even a big man. He was not even impressive physically. But he was filled with the Holy Spirit. God only knows how many untold numbers of people in that Grecian province and Asia Minor and all over, even to Rome. Even when he was in prison, he wanted people to the Lord. Can you imagine that portfolio in heaven? Compared to all these people who have money and fame and... The Lord says, Babylon, Babylon, the great, you're fallen. He said, you live deliciously. You had all these beautiful garments and the richest uh, ornaments and all the treasure. And you committed fornication with the kings of the earth. In other words, you had it great in this world. But now you're brought down to the lowest hell. Because you exalted yourself against me. On the other hand, people like Paul the Apostle, Moses, Samuel, they knew what it meant to really live. They're in heaven for the brief period that Caesar, Hitler, and others in between. These business tycoons and whoever it is, Nobel Peace Prize winners, they don't care about God. In their full-blown atheism, they're able to win the favor of the whole world because of some scientific breakthrough. But what do you do when you have breakthroughs and you prolong people's lives and their quality of life, quote-unquote, but all of them land in hell, not for 60 years, not for 100 years, but forever. What folly. God says, can you see it? Lord, I'm walking with you. I'd rather be right with you and not be deceived by all of these passing pleasures than to buy this now and sell my soul forever. This is what God is speaking about. In order to walk with God where we are confident of who He is and have deep fellowship with Him, we need to understand He's uncovering layers. The moment He say, Lord, stop, no more. He'll say, okay, have it your way. But you know what will happen? We'll be vacillating between the world and God for the rest of our lives. At the end, it's very doubtful if we'll ever make it to heaven. That's a tragedy. God spoke through Jeremiah and Ezekiel and said, People, stop doing this. And they said, Prophet, we're going to kill you. And they had their own prophets. The other prophets came and said, Jeremiah's lying. They slapped him, they threw him in prison. Ezekiel's lying. He's crazy. They had their own prophets. You know what Jeremiah said? As for the prophets that prophesied peace to you, Israel and Judah, when you disobeyed God, he said, within a year, they're going to die. Within a year, the man dropped dead. God doesn't play games. That puts fear in my heart in a good way. When I read the word of God, I know it's real, it's true. I know that it's not outdated. Every word of God is for me today. 
That's why I said, if we read the Bible in the fear of God, we will come out okay. But if we treat it where I don't have to obey as soon as I see something, I'm fooling myself. But to obey is life. Choose life. Hallelujah. God be praised. God has given us an opportunity to hear what needs to be heard so that we can actually have genuine spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, and be in a position where I can say, Lord, my cup is empty. The psalmist said, Lord, you're going to come and find nothing in me. Jesus said, Satan is going to come looking for trouble in me. He's going to find nothing. But the psalmist says in Psalm 18, Lord, you're going to come to me and find nothing because my hands are clean, my heart is pure. How many of us want that? Hallelujah. I want my hands to be clean, not by my own estimation, before God. God has to say, your hands are clean. They're finally clean because you have actually thrown out the trash and you refuse to touch it again. Amen? Your heart is pure because I can see every imagination. Now, if your imagination is evil, you have been plagued in your life, even after coming to know God. It just seems like, you know, evil imagination comes and it goes and it comes and goes. You need to say, Lord, I'm not settling for that. No. There should not be even one iota of wicked imagination in my life. Uriah the Hittite, the man who was not even a Jew, David, when he was in sin, called him back to cover up his sin with the man's wife. The man was drunk. Even when he was drunk, he would not go and be with his wife because of the king and Israel fighting. He said, I can't enjoy now. The king, king said, I'm telling you, I'm giving you permission exclusively. It's coming from me. Go be with your wife. He committed sin. He wanted to cover it up. He was drunk. David tried and tried. The man would just stay right at the steps of David's palace. He won't go to his house. How does a man who's drunk, that's my point, He's drunk. Don't you get impaired when you're drunk? You can't even make a moral decision. What's in him that he was able to make a moral judgment while under the influence of alcohol? God is showing something and he was not even a Jew. He has something in his character that was already predisposed. A kind of nobility that once I'm put out there to fight for my country... Even my lawful pleasure, even if the king, no matter who, says, okay, I'm not doing it. No, I'm going to finish my job. What a picture. He was a Hittite. One of the original nations who were enemies of Israel. Why am I bringing this up? To show this that we can be absolutely clean. Amen? Do you believe that? We can be absolutely pure. We never have to have this double-mindedness. God is telling you, if you think it's not possible, not only is it possible, people have lived it, even people who didn't know God. There's some kind of character there. How much more we have Christ? That's why the Bible says the exceeding greatness of His power who believe, it's beyond our imagination. But if we just say, Lord, it begins with uncovering the layers of my heart. Lord, I'm going to do this. You show me, Lord. I'm going to do my homework. Lord, I want you to speak to me. Lord, I need you. Lord, help me.
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your truth, O Lord Jesus. You have shown us how. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall dwell in his holy place? As it's written in Psalm 24, verse 3. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? God is on a mountain there. See the mountain? See that mountain? It's so high. There's a glory. It's just glowing. God lives over there. God is on the mountain. But who can climb up the mountain? In Exodus, they were warned, don't let anyone touch the mountain. They'll be shot through with an arrow. They'll be killed. God is holy. But then, Psalm 24, 3 says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Here's the password. Here's the passcode. Here's the access pass. What is it? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. That's the person that can climb up to the hill of the Lord and live with him. Hallelujah. Who has not lifted up his soul unto idols. No idols in his life. Not money. Not pleasure. Nothing. No idols. Only God is there in the heart. And there's no falsehood in the person's life. No trickery. No cunningness. No hiding. Saying I'm good when I'm not. None of that. Brutal honesty. Two positives and two negatives in Psalm 24, 3. In onwards, who gets to climb up the hill where God lives and deliver them forever? That's a picture of heaven. Who? The one that has clean hands and a pure heart. Two positives, two negatives. No idols, no deceitfulness. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord. You have called your priests, your preachers, to show the people the difference between the holy and the profane. And I thank you, Lord God, for doing it. I pray that we'll be a people zealous for you, Lord, to follow you, to worship you, Lord, to say, God, fill my cup, Lord. It's empty of pride, empty of everything in this world. Lord, I know nothing satisfied, so I'm not even going for those things anymore. I'm done. I want you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I want you to fill me, Lord. I want you to use my life, Lord. I want to win many, many souls to you. I want to help that person on the verge of suicide. How want to help that person on the verge of mental breakdown, Lord, and depression, Lord. They're caught in it for years, Lord. Give me the anointing, Lord, to set them free. I want people to be happy, Lord. Help me, Jesus. My relatives, my friends, they're dying. They're miserable. Even with all the money, they're miserable, Lord. I know somebody who can give happiness, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, help us, Lord, to desire that kind of anointing that people know this person does not have two sides. Their heart is single. They really love the Lord, and they're walking with him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, like Moses, like Samuel, like Noah, like Job, like Daniel. Help everyone in this church to rise up and say, like Deborah, like Elizabeth, like Mary Magdalene, no matter what the past is, not only is it no more turning back, looking back, I'm going all the way with Jesus. Every day I want to be transformed and I surrender all. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, may your anointing, Father, touch your people in the name of Jesus. The word of God, piercing the heart, Lord, to cause them to say, Lord, I've heard layer after layer that God wants to uncover. Lord, I'm not going to stop seeking your face. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to adore you. I'm going to enjoy your sweet presence. But Lord, I know the surgery needs to be done. And Lord, I want to get to the bottom layer. Hallelujah. Till everything is gone. I need you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. May your people have their hearts cry. Man, woman, and child, no matter who it is, Lord. Because, Lord, at the end of the day, it's only clean hands and pure hearts that will make it to see you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. We want to see you, Lord. We thank you. We worship you. We thank you. We praise you for word. I pray that the hunger of God for the word of God would be transferred to people. They will read all the prophets, all the law, all the writings, all the gospels, all of the book of Acts and the epistles and the revelation, every single letter, every single book, and say, this is life. Man shall not live by bread only. Man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus said, my words, they are spirit and life. Lord, help us to eat your word every day. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Help us to be done with backsliding, Lord. Help us to be afflicted and mourn and weep. Help us to turn around, Lord, and say the very things that I have glossed over and let go. It cannot be my life. I cannot represent the Lord like this. I want Jesus to be seen. Father in heaven, may this happen rapidly for your people because you're taking us into a new land. You're taking us into the promised land, Lord. Hallelujah. You're taking us into an inheritance, Lord. Hallelujah. You're taking us into a mountain. Hallelujah. Yes, the mountain of the Lord's holiness where people from all over the world will see the living God dwelling there and performing wonders. Thank you, Lord. Praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.